0: Learn all about investing in real estate in Highlands Ranch, Colorado with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to Highlands Ranch. Plus, syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre-recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to Highlands Ranch. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. All right, marketing to find off-market deals. I'm James Orr. Let us begin. So, finding deals. So, have you guys read The Millionaire Real Estate Investor book by Gary Keller? I think that is one of the best real estate investing books out there, honestly. Um, If you have not read it, and if you've read it a while ago, I would recommend you pick it up again. I even read it super recently, but I've read it multiple times, and each time I read it, I'm reminded of just how good of a book that is. So, if you're doing any type of off-market deals, um, i would strongly recommend you pick up the millionaire real estate investor by gary keller it's from 2005 so it's a little bit dated in some ways but some of the stuff he teaches in there is like principles it's like timeless so it doesn't really matter but one of the things he did in that book the book is sort of divided up into two major sections one section is like the how to well maybe it's three sections there's an intro section that talks about the myths of real estate investing then there's a whole like meaty section on how to invest and a whole bunch of principles sort of stuff and then at the end there's like, almost like bio, biographical interviews with real estate investors where they talk about their business and how they did it and what they're doing to succeed. So one of the interesting things about the book is uh, when Gary Keller and Dave Jenks and Jay Papasan wrote the book, they interviewed all these different real estate investors. I forget how many it was, maybe 500 or so. But they interviewed all these different real estate investors and they asked them things like, so what are you actually doing to be successful in this business? And one of the things they asked them is, how do you find deals? And so this is a page from the book Uh, It talks about how these 500 real estate investors, these successful millionaire real estate investors, actually went and found deals. And some of it's a little dated because it's from 2005, but I've not found anyone that's done this type of study again. So this is the most up-to-date version of the data that I have, but it's really good. So 32% of deals, according to the millionaire real estate investor interviews that they did, uh, came from networking. So Rachel, that's all you right? You're, you're social, you like being out there talking to people, or Nick, you, that's also you. I mean, like, you can go out there and you can talk to somebody and you can find a deal. So about a third of all deals came from networking. 28% came from real estate agents in the MLS. So if you're unwilling to do all this off-market stuff, if you come to class and you're listening to this stuff and you're like, okay, that's amazing, James, but there's no way I'm doing that. I'm not willing, not able. I, I just don't want to go and do all the marketing, talk to sellers, you know, do presentations, follow up with them, you know, make offers, get creative like that. I'll just buy stuff from the MLS. Okay, great. So about you know, a little bit more than a quarter of them came from real estate agents in the MLS. 10% came from driving and walking. We call this driving for dollars. You go look for dilapidated properties, properties that have you know 15 uh, newspapers still sitting in the driveway rotting. Um, in the winter, the driveway is not shoveled. Um, the grass is unmowed, everything's overgrown. It's like properties that have been abandoned. And then you can go do like reverse lookups and try to find out who the seller is, try to contact them, reach out and try to acquire properties that way. So 10% from driving and walking. 9% from newspaper ads. Again, this was 2005. I doubt it's that high today. Uh, 7% from foreclosure listings. I also doubt it's that high today. We're at the period where um, foreclosures just bounced off their lowest they've been, as far as I know, ever. Um, And so we're at these all-time lows for foreclosures at this point. It's sort of creeped up Um, and we're seeing an uptick in foreclosures, um, which as a sidebar, you'll start to see news articles that say crazy stuff like this. It'll say, uh, foreclosures are up 300%. So what does that mean? Well, if we only had one foreclosure last year, and now you have three or four, then foreclosures are up 300%. So you gotta be really, really careful when you hear crap like that understand what the numbers mean. So if you had a really, really low number of foreclosures and now it's up 300%, yeah, and you want to look at historically how it relates to you know, what you've seen. And it's not just that, yeah, it's gone up 300%, but there was 300% from almost nothing. Right? So that's where we are right now is that we were at almost nothing. We were in this unbelievably hot real estate market after we kind of dropped interest rates with COVID and everything like that. And and the demand for properties was insane. You see in 20 offers on a property. And so it's really, really hard to have a foreclosure when even if you're behind on your payments, you go list it with a real estate agent. And over the weekend you get your property bid up and you're able to sell it and walk away with money. So, it would take a lot for you to have foreclosure in that particular situation where the real estate agent couldn't come in and just help you sell that property. So, we had really, really low foreclosures. Now, I think we're going to start seeing an uptick in foreclosures, especially as the market softens. Uh, but it could take some time. It's not like these things happen instantly overnight. So, that's my kind of side note there about that. But 7% were from foreclosure listings. And I do think that that will be a viable strategy moving forward. Right now, though, as we kind of do this recording in uh, what are we in, July, June? We're in July? July. July July 27th, 2022, we're at a low and I expect that to kind of pick up. But it's really, really low right now. 4% came from for sale by owners, 3% came from the internet internet database research, 2% from targeted marketing, and 5% from other. So if you're kind of wondering where deals came from for at least these particular successful investors, that's where they came from. Any questions on this? All right, cool. So why do we even care about doing marketing and finding motivated sellers? Because that's really what we're talking about. We're trying to find off-market deals, right? We're trying to find a seller who's motivated, who we can go in there and buy the property. But why do we care that they're motivated? I think for two reasons. I think finding creative transactions, if you go watch the creative transactions class we did, was that two weeks ago? It wasn't last week, right? But Last week was partnerships. So I think two weeks ago we did creative transactions. So go watch that whole two-hour class on the creative transaction strategy stuff. And then also fix your upper properties, trying to find distressed properties where you could buy at a discount to add value in some form or another and fix them up. So those are the two reasons I think you probably want motivated sellers. You guys think of any others? That's pretty much it, right? Take a drink. So the creative transactions, just kind of for the record, uh, owner financing, wrap financing, loan assumption, the rent to own, lease to own, lease option, lease purchase family, agreement for deed, bond for deed, contract for deed, installment, land contract, and then buying properties subject to the existing financing. So those are all the creative strategies. Um, go watch the creative strategy class. I can't cover a two hour class within another two hour class, which is probably gonna go the full two hours is my guess. All right. so. When I like to think about this real estate entrepreneurship model of going out there and finding deals and doing the business of being a real estate investor, you know, marketing to find properties, doing all this stuff, I think of it as a whole process and system that we have. And so I've taught classes in the past, I'm not gonna do it anytime soon, but this is my visual of the whole business model. You know, there's everything from your kind of goals and affirmations and stuff, to the daily marketing checklist, which where we are right now is this seller's process of doing marketing to find sellers, but there's also marketing to find buyers and renters and private lenders. All the different seller checklists, your, your callback, your research, making offers, following up, under contract, bought it, inactive. All the buyers checklists, the dream team checklist, the property management checklist, and the different steps in that. And then the business management checklist. So tonight we're really focusing on just this one small piece, and that is the daily marketing checklist and finding sellers. How do we go and find off-market deals, sellers specifically? So this is the daily marketing checklist, and we're just covering sellers tonight. That's all that's saying there. Okay, so doing marketing. When we do marketing, marketing really is broken down into two categories, one-step marketing and two-step marketing. One-step marketing is where you can actually make the sale in one step. You put out a flyer, you give someone everything that they need to know on the flyer in order to be able to make a decision to buy or not buy, and that's done in one step. Real estate transactions are a little bit more complicated, and so those tend to be done in what we call two-step marketing. You usually do marketing in order to get a seller to raise their hand and say, hey, I'm interested, I want more information, and then you follow up and you do um, like more salesmanship or more information or, um, you know, kind of different steps in the marketing process in order to give them everything else they need to then make a decision to do that. So specifically motorway sellers are trying to get sellers to raise their hand and request more information. We're not trying to buy the house on the first ad. Okay, so realize that. The intent of the ads for all the stuff we're going to talk about tonight is not that we're trying to buy the house with the first ad. You're trying to get them to raise their hand and ask questions and be interested enough so that you can then talk to them, give them the information they need, answer all the questions they have, and then help them buy, help them make a decision to either sell you their house or use something else. Make sense? All right. The right side of the desk. I was really fortunate. I had a... um, Besides my father, who's also a real estate investor, um, I was really fortunate, I had a great mentor. He was a a guy, um, lived in Houston, Texas, uh, big home buyer down there. And uh, he explained this concept to me. Um, And the concept is being on the right side of the desk. Imagine for a minute you're like going to a bank. And you you walk into the bank, you got your hat in your hand, you're like, hey, uh, Mr. Banker, would you please be willing to loan me money? So he's sort of in the position of power. You're going there and you're almost like begging them, you know, to kind of loan you money. You know, do I qualify? Can you please help me? Uh, You know, what do I need to do in order for you to loan me money? So as, as real estate uh, entrepreneurs, real estate investors, what we really want to do is we want to be in the position where we're on the other side of the desk. We're on the right side of the desk where the seller comes to you and they say, so tell me how your program works. How can you buy my house? You don't want to be chasing a seller and trying to buy their house from them. You want them coming to you and saying, how does your program work? What can you do to help me? Here's my situation. You know, is this something that you can do to, to kind of solve my problems? So I prefer to have motivated sellers calling me saying, here's my situation. What can you do to help me? Versus chasing sellers and then trying to ask them, what's your situation so I can see if I can help? And I talked about the banker example. Here's one of the reasons why you want to do this, though. Imagine for a minute you're as friendly as Rachel and you want to go call for sale by owners. You want to go for some torturous reason, you want to go onto Craigslist and everyone who advertises their property for sale, you want to get on the phone and call them up and try to have a conversation with that, uh, particularly for sale by owner. And you really want to buy properties creatively. You want to buy a property you know, subject to or with wrap finance where they basically leave their loan in place and you take over payments on their loan. So one of the things you need to know if you're going to go out there and try to buy properties scravely is how much do you owe? And imagine trying to get on the phone with a first sale by owner who is in the driver's seat because they're the one advertising, they're the one taking the calls and you're trying to ask them, so Mr. Seller, how much do you owe on the property? They're going to be like, what? Uh, why do you need to know that? The price is $500,000. That's all you need to know. You don't need to know how much I owe on the property. That's the problem with doing this sort of like chasing sellers. Now if a seller calls you, very different situation. I think you're much more likely to get a compliance from a seller to be able to tell you how much they own a property if you ask them um, if they're calling you versus you directly trying to chase them and call them. And that's not to say that all sellers that call you on your marketing are going to automatically volunteer that information. And honestly, with as much information technology and how much information is available in a lot of markets, you're going to be able to find this out by looking it up on the internet. Um, however, um, I think if you're trying to make deals like this, Um, you're much more likely to get compliance and to have, be in the right position of authority by having them call you for marketing. Does that make sense everybody? Okay. All right. So a little story time. So this was probably 2008, 2008, 2009, 2008, 2009, um, I'd hired a full-time assistant to help out with marketing uh, in order to buy properties. And one of the things we were experimenting with, and it worked out really well, is we would put marketing out there, and when they called in from the marketing, we had them go to a live answering service. And so they can call 24 hours a day. The answering service was staffed. It was like one of those, like, uh, you know, if you're a medical doctor or something like that, and you want like an after-hours call center where they're willing to take messages, and you know, it's that sort of like answering service thing. And you can give them a list of questions you want them to ask anyone who calls in and they write down the answers and they send it to you. I think it was by email at the time. And then sometimes they even record the calls and they'd send you the recording of it. So I was like, okay, let me do some experimenting. And this is what we ended up doing. So when anyone, we did like marketing out there, I think we we're doing mostly postcards at the time. We did postcards out there. And then when someone called in the postcard, they they got called into the answering service. And the answering service would ask these three pre-qualifying questions to someone when they first called in. This was completely the first contact they ever had. Okay, So imagine you're like, you know, someone who received the postcard that says, you know, we're interested in buying houses. And this is the answering service. And these are the questions that they're getting asked. So the question number one was, are you interested in selling a home? So they call in. They're like, hey, um, you know, is James there? And they're like, "Nope, sorry, James is not here. Um, you know, uh, we have, are, you, are you interested in selling your home? Okay. And if they said yes, they great. Do you own your home free and clear or do you have a mortgage on it? Oh, I have a mortgage on it. Well, great. Are you looking to sell the property for what you owe? So within three questions of calling the answering service, we have basically made an offer to the seller calling in to see if they wanted to sell their property for what they owed. And if you're trying to buy properties creatively, subject to taking over existing debt, or if you just want to know like, what they're willing to accept, if there's some motivation there, a seller who's willing to sell their property for what they owe is, in my opinion, a sign of motivation. And so this was a way to pre-screen sellers to sort them by motivation. Not to say that you know, the ones that answered differently wouldn't also be deals, but these are potentially greater quality leads. Does that make sense, everybody? So, this was a really quick way to do that. And I think if I were going to do a lot of marketing again, this might be one of the ways I'd set it up. Okay. So, let's talk a little bit about some, some philosophy. So, as a backtrack, before I talk about philosophy, this class is set up in the format of a lot of pre information about marketing strategy, philosophy, how things work. And then toward the end, there are lots of examples of marketing pieces. I'll show you a whole bunch of different postcards so you can get a feel of actually what people are sending. Um, I'll give you some examples of um, door-to-door flyers type stuff, post-it notes. Um, I think I have some banded sign examples in here. So you'll get a feel of some different marketing stuff in here. But first, before we get there, I'm going to set up a whole bunch of baseline stuff that I think you would benefit from knowing before we get to the examples. Okay, so this I'll, I'll outwork you mentality. Here's a quote. Here it says, "Demand more from yourself than anyone else could ever expect." I think that's it's one of the basketball players. Anyone know what the basketball player was that said that? I should probably go look it up. But it was one of the basketball players. I think that he basically said, "I'll at work, you know, I'll demand more from yourself than anyone else could ever expect." Um, and I think if you're gonna be in this business, that's what you want. You want that massive amount of hustle where you're willing to do what it takes in order to get motivated sellers calling, you know, doing all the stuff you need to do, returning phone calls, going out there doing your seller appointments. But I think that's an important mentality to have. I think you should develop multiple streams of motivated sellers. Don't just pick the cheapest one. Because I think what happens, and this has happened to me in multiple businesses, because I didn't learn the lesson the first time or the second time, but You don't want to go and just do one type of marketing and rely on that one type of marketing in order to bring you deals. I think you want to have a a set of different strategies that all bring you deals. That way if one of the marketing systems dries up and goes away or becomes illegal or just doesn't work anymore, is not as effective, is not cost effective anymore, then you have these other two or three to kind of rely on uh, in order to do stuff. In my opinion, the most dangerous number in business is one. I'll tell you the story seventy-two in a second, but I'll tell you how I learned this lesson. So I'm trying to think of how far back I need to go to tell you this. So back when I was doing real estate investing, I started off. Um, this was probably just probably also 2007, 2008, maybe even 2009, somewhere in there I was doing, I was doing ads on Craigslist. And in my local marketplace, I could put up an ad on Craigslist. And if I renewed that ad every three days or so, I could expect to get a certain response rate. And I figured out to myself, hey, look, if I'm getting whatever it is, one or two calls a week by putting up this one single ad on Craigslist from sellers, then I could expect to do X amount of business. And I was like, but I really want to do Y amount of business, you know, a lot more than what X was. So how can I go increase how many leads I'm getting from these, these sellers? And so I thought to myself, well, I could go post up twice as many ads, but you're already on there. You're kind of like fishing in the pond already. Maybe you put two fishing lines out, and maybe it works better. But I, I, and I did some testing, and it didn't really work out the way I thought it was. I would get really good response on one, but if I did more than one, it just seemed like I was spamming Craigslist and doing it more than once. However, I could say, hey, look, I'm doing this here in Fort Collins. Couldn't I go and expand into Denver and put up an ad and actually do um, ads in order to find sellers in Denver? And the answer was yes. So I could go do Four Collins and I could do Denver. I was like, well, if I'm going to do Four Collins in Denver, why don't I go and do Colorado Springs as well? So if I do you know one in Four Collins and you know, maybe I'm getting two calls a week in Denver cause the population is a little bit bigger. Maybe I'm getting another one in Colorado Springs or you know, another one if I go to Pueblo and I'm like, well, why am I just limiting myself to doing this in Colorado? Why don't I go and do an ad in Miami or something like that? And so I was, doing all these different ads in all these different cities, and this is how we actually ended up you know, doing the largest wholesaling company in the US. We were in 280 markets doing this wholesaling stuff, is we were getting deals in all these markets and then marketing them and, and kind of selling contracts or, or in some ways you know, monetizing them. Um, and so the challenge with this particular model was I was getting really low-cost leads by doing this type of marketing. Um, the challenge was eventually Craigslist didn't like it. right? You know, Craigslist did not like the idea of us posting ads in all these different cities, and it was really a problem, but I was relying on one source of leads. You know, if I had been doing Craigslist and direct mail and, you know, some voice broadcast or whatever else, you know, you know, like all these different strategies we're going to talk about tonight, if I could have done all those, I could have been much more successful if Craigslist had shut down. But by Craigslist shutting down, we really had to push in order to keep doing it and get very creative in how we were going to solve this problem, when in fact I probably should have just gone and did some slightly different marketing in order to make it work. Does that make sense as to why I'm telling you the story about, like, don't just stick with one model, because it's problematic for your business? Okay. So the story is 72. Uh, I'm going to kind of butcher this story. It's from Dan Kennedy, who's a famous marketing guy. Not specific to real estate, but he's a famous marketing guy. And he tells this story about a dentist. And the dentist... Um, goes to a brand new town, he's never lived there before, he goes to town, he sets up a brand new dental office, and he crushes it. He's able to start this business, he oper- operates it for a year or two, and then he ends up selling the business, you know, packing up, moving to another town, and doing the same thing over and over again. And eventually, the dentists in the town that he kind of went to were like, hey, how is it possible that you're able to come to town and generate so much business, and you know, kind of like, you know, really like, show us up by doing all this marketing and stuff like that. And the dentist says, well, I don't know one way to get 72 new patients every month, but I do know 72 ways to get one new patient every month, and I do all 72. And I think that's more the philosophy you wanna have in real estate investing. You don't want to say, I've got one way to generate all the leads I want to have. You want to have several different ways to do it and kind of do one here, one here, one here, and just make sure that your costs are acceptable for all the different ones you're doing. You may have some ones that are really low cost, but maybe they're not quite as effective. You don't get the of deal flow you need from that. Maybe one that you could scale up as much as you want, but it's more expensive, but it does it's still reasonable enough for you to keep doing it. And so maybe you do another deal or two per month from that, and then you do another deal, do another third one or fourth one, and you do as many different marketing strategies as you can in order to get. The deal flow that you want. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, so how much is spend on a marketing test? There's lots of exceptions to what I'm about to tell you, but here's how I think about it. If you're trying a new marketing method, how do you know if it's successful? How much should you spend to find out if that marketing method works? You spend the amount of money it would typically cost you to acquire a deal. And you see if you acquire a deal. So if you say to yourself, look, I'm willing to spend $4,000, $2,000, $5,000, whatever it is for you, in order to acquire a deal that meets my investment criteria, and I'm going to go test a new marketing method, I need to spend that much money, whatever is acceptable for me, from other marketing things that I know are working, that I'm, that I'm finding deals with, in order to see if that generates deals for the same cost or better. I think that's a really good just rule of thumb for you to get there. So if it costs you $5,000 to do it, and now you're going to do a you know, a sponsorship ad on the, the newspaper, the newsletter thing for, you know, a certain neighborhood or something like that, and it costs them, you know, $500 a month in order to do this thing on the monthly newsletter, well, then realize you've got to do it for 10 months to see if it's effective. You can't do it for one month and say, this didn't work. Or you can't do it, and if you get a deal the first month, you can't say, this did work, right? You got to look at it over a period of time and see that if it's consistently performing for you. Um, and, and ideally you don't look at your cheapest method. You don't compare a new test you're doing to the least expensive way you can acquire a deal. You could argue that you probably should do your most, ex- most expensive acceptable one, right? The one that you're saying, okay, I don't like paying this much, but I'm willing to pay this much to test this new marketing thing and see how it performs over time. And if you're gonna do free stuff, if you're gonna do you know calling for sale by owner or you know knock door knocking or things of that nature, make sure you put a value on your time. Don't just say it cost me you know $27 in gas, but not count that it you know took you 40 hours of time to do that. You gotta put a reasonable cost on your time to see if this is effective. All right, any questions on how much to spend on a marketing test? Cool. All right, here's some other additional marketing, please. There is no failure. Only testing and feedback. That's from neurolinguistic programming. It's a kind of a philosophy of neurolinguistic programming and I think it applies to marketing as well. You, you don't fail doing marketing, right? You do a marketing test, you say, did I get the result I wanted? No, okay, now I got feedback. That particular way of doing it, that headline, that particular marketing piece, this particular group of people that I marketed to, that did not work. I got feedback on it, let's change something up. Maybe it's the message, maybe it's the people, maybe it's the media I'm using. Uh, A quote from Tony Robbins, there is no such thing as failure, there are only results. Similar idea. Uh, Thomas Edison says, our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always try just one more time. If you're not making the money you want and you have a reasonable profit margin, which you do in real estate investing, then you have a marketing problem. That's the challenge you have. So will it work? No one knows until you test. Marketers do know this have to test in order to find out if something works. You change one variable, you test again. One of of my personal biggest aha moments was discovering if I wanted more motivated sellers, I needed to do more marketing to have them call me. It was like, I know how to generate a motivated seller call, why am I not spending the money to do the marketing? Once I got that, I'm like, this just makes perfect sense. It's like money in one side, calls out the other, put a little time between them and a little bit of work and effort, deals on the other end. So, hold your marketing ruthlessly accountable for results. This implies you are measuring the results you're getting. You have to actually measure and keep results and know what you're getting. I personally believe you need to get good deal flow, have enough deals coming across your desk so that you can see a reasonable number of deals and start sifting and sorting. You're not trying to convince all sellers. And we'll talk about this when we talk about uh, lazy and poor marketing, but the challenge when you're not willing to spend money and have enough deals coming across your desk and you're doing like uh, you know, poor type marketing where you're willing to put in time and effort into it is you work so hard to get a seller that when you finally find one that's motivated, you try every possible way to make that deal work. But sometimes the seller is motivated, but the numbers or the deal just doesn't make sense. You know, like you're trying to buy a property, it's worth 400,000, they owe 420,000. You're like, the guy's motivated. Yeah, he's motivated, but you can't make that deal work. You gotta just move on to the next deal. And if you had 10 other calls coming in that day, you'd be able to move on. The challenge is, you only had one call that week, and now you're trying everything. You're like, you're, you know, you're coming to class, you're asking me, James, so I got this motivated seller. You know, he, uh, he wants to sell me the property, he owes 420, the property's worth 400. Pass. <laughs> That's my solution. It's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to get creative and make a non-deal and deal for you, right? But if you had nine other calls that day, then you move on. Otherwise, you're like, there's got to be something in here. What's the old joke about the, like, the kid and the pony? There's got to be a pony in here somewhere. You know, something like that. I don't know. Anyway, so stop trying to convince all sellers. You're not trying to do that. You're sifting and sorting sellers. Start focusing on emphasizing solutions you can offer that would be good solutions to you and good solutions to that seller. You know, the, the language of, well, here's what I could do, would that work for you, makes a lot of sense. Only 25% of leads are legitimate and should advance the sales. And that's from Gleanstar Research, or Gleanster Research. Only 25% of leads are legitimate and should advance the sales. Not everyone is going to be a good fit for you. You're not trying to have a 100% conversion rate. That is not your goal. We'll talk about conversion rates in a little bit. All right, feast and famine. You gotta keep the pump primed even when you're drinking from the fire hose. Don't turn off the marketing and then turn it back on when things die out because it takes time to get everything going again. You wanna keep your motivated seller pipeline filled. I, what I did is I figured out my numbers And then I sent out enough marketing to get one call per day, my ideal pace. That's the pace I wanted to work at. So I figured out, after doing it for a little while, hey, look, I get about a call for every X number of postcards I sent out. I think it was like 140. I think that was my number. So for every 140 postcards I sent out, I would get about one phone call. And sometimes you'd get like lingering ones. But that was like the one phone call within a reasonable amount of time. And then you get the lingerers who saved it and they call you six months or three years later. okay? Which you do, you get those. You get a little bit of like, build up over time. But I was like, hey, look, if I want to call a day, I send out 140 postcards. So you don't have to do this, but I wrote software where I had the list of people I was mailing in a database, and I just exported you know, 140 of them a day straight to click to mail. And I would send out the postcards that way. okay? And that would give me about what I needed. Sure, there were days when I didn't get calls. There were days where I got more than one call, but it was about that pace, and I didn't start it and stop it, right? Or you could work backwards from your ideal goal, and we'll talk about how to do this in the modeling spreadsheet, but you could say, look, I wanna buy X number of properties, that means I need to do this number of phone calls, this means I need to put out this amount of marketing. So you could work backwards from your ideal as well, okay? All right, looking inside and outside the industry. So study what other people are using inside your industry and outside your industry in order to find ideas of what kind of marketing to do. All the marketing that real estate agents use to find sellers for listing, that's what you're doing too. If you ever thought about it that way, real estate agents are trying to market to find sellers who haven't yet raised their hand and say, I wanna sell my property, and they're trying to find those so that they can help them sell their property and get retail price. You're doing the same thing. You're trying to find sellers that want to sell properties. Your criteria for what is a seller that you could help is probably different, but you're still doing the same type of marketing. Or real estate agents sometimes are looking for buyers, which you might be as well when you get your property, or tenant buyers, or tenants. So you can look inside your industry for ideas. But don't just get like, laser focus on everything inside the industry you can also look at what's happening outside the industry what's working that other people are not doing and bring it into your own business so there were not a lot of real estate agents when i started doing these real estate investor classes that were teaching investor classes in order to generate clients in their brokerage but there were financial planners who were financial planners were doing you know a little um, lunch and learn or dinner thing where they'd come in, they'd teach a class on how to optimize social security and they would use that to generate clients. Why weren't real estate agents using that? I don't know. I just started doing it. Same idea for your stuff. Look outside your industry for people that are doing something else and then see what you want to adopt for your business. Okay? All right, so I, I probably, I know I could. I don't know if I will. Um, but, I could do a whole class on this particular spreadsheet. And the last time I taught a class on this particular spreadsheet was in 2016. Um, I did a whole class that literally just went through each box in the spreadsheet, and I talked about my assumptions and how each step worked and everything. What this spreadsheet is, it's a way for you to model how much work you need to do at each step in the process in order to um, do deals as a real estate investor. So each block is a discrete step and each block tells how much time you spent there, how much money you spent there, how much money you made there, and it kind of walks you through what happened in this block. And then each block between the blocks tells you what your conversion rate is. So, for example, this first block is sending out postcards. If I send out, you know, 10,000 postcards and I get a conversion rate of 0.4%, so 0.4% of the postcards that get sent out become a call into me, So now it tells me how many calls I have here, how much time I spent on that call, how much money I spent on that call, because I send out a little uh, credibility package to each person person that calls in. Then I know how many calls I get that convert to a a presentation where I go meet with a seller. And I can see the conversion rate from that. And then uh, of the presentations I do to sellers, how much it costs me, how much time I spent doing all that, how much it costs, uh, like what the conversion rate is to uh, sellers that go under contract. And then of the ones that go under contract, how many of them did I actually close on and buy? And then of the ones that I close on and buy, how many uh, tenant buyer or tenant calls do I take? And then how many uh, tenants do I meet at the property? And then how many applications and negotiating of leases do I do? How many signed leases do I do in managing the property? How many closings do I have for them when they finally buy the property? And then, what the sale to the tenant buyer looks like at the end, and how much money was made and how much time was made. And then at the end, I sum up all of the time it took for every one of these steps, and how much money was spent in each one of these steps, and then how much money was made from all of these steps. And I could tell you what my dollar per hour was, and what my conversion rate was, and how many houses I sold. So now I can go back in here. Once I know all my conversions and I got my costs and times and everything, I can come in here and say, okay, instead of sending 10,000 postcards, what if I sent 5,000? And it trickles all the way through and tells me, okay, now you're going to get this many calls and this many tenant buyers and and so on. And then it'll tell you here at the end, you're going to do one deal and it's going to be this amount of money or two deals or whatever it is for you. And you get to look at all. Then I added a whole bunch of additional things because every once in a while you do a seller presentation and you're not going to buy it yourself. You're going to wholesale it. Or you're going to list it if you're a real estate agent because you're going to do that too. Or you're going to do something else from the tenant buyers that call in. You're going to help them buy a house if you have a real estate license, or you're going to help them, you know, buy a wholesale deal like wholesale retail. And so you can look at things that happen in parallel. So of the marketing that goes in, sometimes those get split off, and you're doing additional things. You get a certain number of wholesale deals or listed properties, or you know, other tenants that you're going to help buy a property, or, or uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Tenants that you call in originally and you can help them buy a property and you can look at all the dollars And then you get sum up the whole thing and find out for this amount of spend on my marketing How much should I make total from all of these different things and how much time did I spend? and What's my dollar per hour and then you can see which ones are most profitable which ones are least profitable and so on So if you know I want to do one deal here and all these are other zero right you can say I'm not doing any of these ones, but I want to do one deal here you can toggle all of the numbers on the front end to find out how much you do need to spend to do that deal in whatever time period you're doing. Does that make sense? So that's the short version of the two-hour class I, I teach on that particular thing. And you can download this spreadsheet. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. OK? Any questions on this? Is that helpful, though, the idea? Womsy. Yes. Uh, so my question is, so this is just for one marketing strategy when you like, post postcards, right? So can, this can be like. Uh, duplicated to multiple strategies right yes obviously so the question was in the the one that i'm showing on the board um it is for one marketing strategy postcards you could do postcards and add another box for you know door-to-door flyers or for doing pay-per-click ads or doing search engine optimization but you need to figure out what the equivalent time and money spent is and like all that is and then you could have them all go up and add into this field initial calls or you could do a different one because if your conversions are different for different types of lead sources, you may want to have certain parallel steps and then eventually they all merge together into something and kind of expand out. So yes, you could do it that way. For this one, I simplified it, it's only doing postcards. Got it. Yep. Yep. Good question. Any other questions? Cool. Is this helpful? Crazy stuff? Yeah. Okay. Target profit. So it can vary depending on your market, but in general. I'm going to pull out a number and say $25,000 per deal or 10% of purchase price to adjust for higher lower price houses. Now you could decide, hey, my profit margin is 50k and my houses are really cheap, or you could say, hey, look, in my market it's really really hard to get a deal period, I'd be happy with $15,000 or $10,000 or whatever. And then you could also say, look, I want $20,000 base plus 10000 15000 20000 for each year that I hold the deal. Because you may decide, hey, look, I want to make $20,000 up front when I buy this. But in addition to that, if I'm going to hold this property for two or three or four years with a tenant buyer in there, I want to make extra profit per year. And you figure out what your numbers are for you making sense, and then you do that for that. And then I think, again, this varies a lot, especially with inflation type marketing you're doing. But to spend $2,500 in marketing to net $25,000, seems like a reasonable ratio to me. Okay? That's a 10 to 1 profit to marketing ratio. For every $2,500 you spend, plus some labor, because there's definitely time involved, as I talked about in the last spreadsheet, plus some labor. Um, so for every $2,500 you spend, you make $25,000 on the deal on the back end. Um, for every $100 you spend in marketing, make a 1000 It's another way to think about it. In a more normal market maybe your numbers go up to 20 to 1. So, 20,000, I'm sorry, $2,000 for every $100 you spend. And in really, really hot markets, it might be worse than that, right? You may have to spend more money in order to get a deal and still only make the 25,000. Okay? Any questions? All right, so goal. So if you want to do 20 leads a month, budget about $2,500 a month or whatever your marketing dictates that you do. You buy one house per month. Your goal is 40 to 60 leads a month. You budget $5,000 to $7,500 a month. You buy two to three houses per month. Now realize inflation, how hot or cold the market is. Market temperament may force these numbers up. Okay. Occasionally someone will come to class and they'll be like, James, $2,500. I wanted to do nothing down deals. $2,500. That seems like a lot of money to do a deal. Well, if you were going to go buy a regular property and do a regular loan, You know, just to get the loan, the cost to do the loan could be $2,500. You know, not including anything else. I mean, you know, you're probably still doing a lot of these costs if you do it, but you're gonna have like inspection stuff if you're gonna do inspections on a property. May have an appraisal done. May not have an appraisal done if you're just doing something creatively, but you know, to do that. And what's an appraisal run these days? 800 bucks, 900 bucks, somewhere in there? Just to do that, right? So $2,500 seems like a deal. Any questions on this? All right, motivated sellers for lazy and poor folks. So lazy methods are more time than money. You have more time than you have money. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. Lazy methods, I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. Lazy methods are more money than time. Um, I was like, that doesn't make sense. Um, So more money than time, you're willing to spend money because you're unwilling to do manual labor in order to find motivated seller leads. It's easier to scale up in size. You just spend more money, you get more leads coming in. It's harder to scale up when you're doing poor marketing methods because you have a limited amount of time that you can spend. Okay, you sift and sort for great deals, you get enough leads coming in where you're, you're just basically saying, this is what I can do to help. Does that work for you? They say no, great, you follow up, but otherwise you move on. You're not trying to force a deal. With poor methods, you have more time than money and you're willing to invest that time to find motivated sellers. It tends to be time intensive and therefore harder to scale. You tend to want to work or overwork every lead, leading you to try to make non-deals or bad deals into deals. There is some overlap between the two. One example is banded signs. If you buy banded signs, which are relatively inexpensive, and you go out there and you're manually putting them in yourself, driving all over town and doing 10 hours worth, that's more a poor marketing strategy. If you buy banded signs you hire someone else to go do it for you, that's more of a lazy, lazy strategy. Okay. All right, so here are the lazy methods. Uh, bill, and I'll tell you which ones I've done. Billboards and bench signs, I have not done that. But you could go get a billboard that says, we buy houses, call this number. Um, you could go get a sign on the bench where people are waiting for the bus that says, we buy houses, call this number. Uh, car signs, I've not personally done this and know a bunch of clients that have. But you basically get one of those magnetic stickers or one of the, the car wraps that basically says, we buy houses, you know, call this number, we'll you know, buy your house, uh, we'll take over payments, whatever you're doing for your thing. We'll talk about marketing headlines here in a little bit. Um, I've not personally done car signs, though. Direct mail, done a ton of direct mail. You, know, you can do postcards, you can do uh, handwritten letters, you can do regular letters, um, you could do oversized postcards, you could do saturated mailings, geographic saturated mailings to so entire, um, you know, postal areas. Um, you could do, you know, targeted mailings to, you know, foreclosure properties. You could do ones to recently divorced people, bankruptcy, probate. You know, there's all sorts of things we're going to talk about here toward the end. Uh, websites, pay per click. I think I did some experimentation with pay per click early on, but I haven't done much with it. But you can do a, um, you can go onto Google Ad Words, and you could pay Google to come up when someone searches for, you know, sell my house fast in uh, your whatever your marketplace is. Uh, voice blast and text blast, so you can actually hire a service, um, upload a bunch of telephone numbers for property owners in your area, and basically say, I'm in buying, or I'm interested in buying your house. Um, and do that, you could do it either via text, or you could do it via voice broadcast. I never did text, I did a bunch of voice broadcasts for a period of time. So we would do um, voice broadcast messages to answer machines and live answers, so we had two different messages. And then if people were interested in selling their house, they'd um, either leave a message or contact us back, call us back at a number. Uh, newspaper advertising. it did a ton of newspaper advertising. It's actually one of the more effective ways in some, in some cases. Um, we would do um, ads in the paper, just like classified ads. We also um, got the, there was like a, a monthly publication. It was, is it Is it Four Collins Forum? Does anyone know? It was like an old newspaper. I think it was called Four Collins Forum. And we'd have like a half-page ad covering um, the full front half of a newspaper ad, and we'd buy that each month, and that was pretty effective. Um, but it's harder to do newspaper these days. Uh, radio television ads. So I didn't actually do this, but my friend Brent, who I told you about in Texas, um, he actually, at one point, before he died. He actually died really tragically um, a long time ago, about a decade ago. Um, but he, uh, he actually acquired the rights to uh, webuyhomes.com. I don't think he had webuyhouses.com. I think he had webuyhomes. And then he had 1-800-WEBUYHOMES and one 800 webuyhouses which is the same phone number because it stops at like HO. Um, so he basically had the telephone number and that. And what he was doing is he was licensing out the rights to different marketplaces to do that. And he had a professional... Uh, video done and professional radio spots done and you could run these. You don't have to do any customization because it's the same number. But you basically run that ad in your local marketplace and then the number calls through and based on your location from where you're calling the um, telephone rings into your office or wherever you want it to go. You basically had them direct where you want it to go. And so he did a bunch of television stuff. I didn't personally do it, um, but that's one of the things he was doing. So you can do radio and television ads. Um, You can also do yellow pages. Yellow pages are mostly defunct now because of the internet, um, but th- there are some interesting lessons to learn from things that people would do in the yellow pages. Instead of just advertising in like the you know real estate services section, uh, some people would advertise in the money to loan section because if you think about like where your sellers are coming from, a lot of times they're looking for for solutions other than selling their house before they get to the point where they realize they need to sell their house, and so a lot of times. Um, Some investors would actually have a separate business that would make loans, and then they would use that as a lead generation tool in order to find sellers that were going to be early on in their pipeline. Does that make sense, everybody? What I said? Okay. All right. Any questions on these lazy methods? We're going to go into some detail here. Yeah, Ben. So you said for the direct mail, you can mail to foreclosure houses and people who got divorced recently. How do you get? The list? Yeah. yeah, I'll give you some sources for lists here in a little bit. Yeah, these are places you can buy them. Yep. So the question was, where do you get the list for you know, people going into foreclosure, or people that had a bankruptcy, or, or something like that? And you can buy from list brokers. Yep. Um, OK, any questions on lazy methods? We're going to go into some detail on mostly direct mail. Um, I think that's mostly what we're going to cover from tonight, in detail. Any other questions on this stuff? All right, cool. So here's some of the poor methods if you're willing to put in more time. Banded signs, as an example, though I told you if you want to do banded signs and make them lazy, you can actually pay someone to do them. But banded signs are those, uh, you know, yellow corrugated plastic signs that go out there. You may have seen them, says, you know, lose weight now or, you know, uh, you'll see them in new construction neighborhoods where people are advertising, uh, sign up for this internet service or sign up for comcast or xfinity or whatever it is so you'll see those types of signs or you'll see them sometimes for like uh churches they'll say you know church service and they'll kind of use those but you could use them as says we buy homes we buy houses i'll show you some examples of those and then you go out and you put them into major intersections they'll they'll disappear they're disposable media don't think that you put it up there it's going to last there for months um, you'll put it up there and maybe you'll get a couple hours if it's a really busy intersection and the uh, sign police are are not out doing that also depending on your area they may be illegal just so you know Um, And you may get a call from, you know, the police or code enforcement or something like that telling you, uh, you can't put your signs up anymore. We're going to charge you X number of dollars per one you do. Uh, Please go take them down or whatever they'll tell you. So realize in some markets, it's really hard to do or hard to keep those up. Uh, But otherwise, they'll disappear. Realize that you're you're spending the $10 or whatever it costs these days in order to get the sign, plus the labor to go put them up there uh, for a certain amount of limited exposure for whatever time period you have them up. Uh, business cards. I'll show you an example of a business card with a little twist on it here in a little bit But if you want to see good examples of other real estate investors with their business cards go to investor meetings and ask them to see their card you know, go go talk to other investors and ask them if you can have a copy of their card and see what they're using And there's lots of variations to these there's some gimmicky ones um, There's some like really straight, you know, straight up business ones. There's some more like uh, mom-and-pop ish sort of ones So everyone has their own little variation flavor on how they do their business uh, Contact me for set by owners. This is Rachel special. She's gonna call the for set by owners because she's really social. So she's gonna go call for set by owners. You can go on a Craigslist or any other place they're marketing and just make phone calls, reach out to them as if they're interested in selling their property. If you're interested in the strategy, there's a, there's a decent book. Uh, Wendy Patton put out a book. This is probably a 15-year-old book at this point. Um, but her book is called like uh, How to Do Lease Options and Subject To Deals. And uh, she talks about a strategy of calling for sale by owners and trying to uh, get them to lease option the property to her or buy the property subject to. Um, and in the softer market, I think it would work great. Um, not something I'm willing to do. I'm an introvert in case you can't tell. Uh, so cont- contacting for sale by owners, that's one of the things you could do. Door knocking. Someone laughing that I'm an introvert. Um, you can go door knocking. You can go door to door and actually try to buy houses that way, Any, anything in there. Door to door flyers, we'll talk about some examples of those. I'll tell you a story about this. So my father was a real estate agent. And he was the number one agent in his office uh, using this strategy, using flyers. And so here was his little niche. I'll, I'll kind of tell you his little secret sauce um, of how he kind of became number one agent in his office. And I think this does apply in some ways to real estate investors, although not the buy side. Here's what he would do. So back when he was a real estate agent, the um, HUD and VA foreclosure list would come out every, I think it was Tuesday, I don't remember exactly the day now, but I think it was like Tuesday morning. And so what he would do is he would uh, get up at like four o'clock in the morning um, and go down to like a really open like early coffee shop and get a copy of the, the latest newspaper with the latest HUD and VA list of properties that were coming out. And as a real estate agent, anyone could market the government's HUD foreclosure and VA foreclosure list. So you can go, any real estate agent with a license could go and market these. So what he would do is at four in the morning, with his coffee and his paper in hand, so he would drive around to the new list. Maybe there were ten properties or twenty properties on there. I don't know, depending on the week. So he'd go look at the properties. So he'd be like, "Oh, this one looks interesting, and this one looks interesting, this one looks interesting." And he'd pick, you know, half a dozen properties or a dozen properties, and then he'd go back to our home office, and he had a copy machine there, and he would make up, he'd hand write out a flyer. He had a flyer template, had like two little bald eagle, you know, like a U.S. official-looking symbol-looking things in the corner, and said. HUD foreclosure, VA foreclosure, if you're interested in buying this property in your neighborhood at, you know, and have fill in the blanks, one, two, three, four, Main Street, um, you know, it requires X dollars down, and with X dollars down, your payment would be X per month with, you know, your, whatever this interest rate assumption was, and all this other stuff. So he basically had this like little one page flyer. And he printed up 150, 250 flyers, whatever it was, uh, that would kind of saturate the area around that particular property. And then as a teenager, I would go deliver flyers all day. And so I'd go out and walk the 200 nearest houses to that particular property with that particular flyer. And on the back, he had all like you know six or seven different properties with just a summary of them in case you're interested in any other ones. And he would just put out you know 200 flyers or so per property, you know 10 properties or so a week, somewhere around there. Um, and he'd sell a bunch of them, you know, a couple a week, um, where he was just out there doing that. And so if you want to do flyers, flyers can be really effective um, for finding, in this case, buyers, but you know, it could also be effective for buying sellers as well. You know, We've done some flyer type stuff, mostly door hangers and sticky notes is what I've tested. Um, I've, I haven't done as much flyering uh, for that stuff. And by the way, I've not done door knocking, personally. Okay, so we'll talk about some sticky note stuff. Uh, driving for dollars, we talked about that, you know, going around trying to find uh, abandoned properties, dilapidated properties. Uh, flyers and free flyers. So the flyer method we've kind of talked about, but the free flyer method I think is interesting enough. So for somebody who doesn't have a lot of money, you can go find you know, three other businesses that are non-competing with you, You know the pizza guy, the car wash guy, the uh, homeowner's insurance guy, whatever it is, and you can get them to each be willing to pay one-third of the cost to deliver 500 flyers to a particular neighborhood. And it's one-third because you're going to have four ads on that page, uh, them, them three and you, but you're not paying, you're kind, of, you're kind of riding free by coordinating this all with the three different businesses and having the printing done and you know, having them delivered and all that stuff. So you charge them one third of the cost to have all the printing done, and all the delivery done, and you're kind of taking one fourth of the flyer space in exchange for you organizing it. So you can have an unlimited flyer budget if you really wanted to, if you're willing to put in the effort and do manual labor to do that, okay? Uh, networking, we'll talk about an elevator speech here in a minute, but uh, Rachel loves to get out there and talk to people, um, as does Nick, and he can go and find deals that way. Uh, real estate agents—that's another way to find deals that doesn't require a lot of money. Uh, posting ads—you know, if you're going to go willing to go on like these websites like Craigslist or places like that, you can put some ads up there. Promotional clothing—you know, the We Buy Houses T-shirts and you know, We Buy Houses—you know, sponsoring the baseball team and you know stuff like that. You can also find real estate wholesalers and bird dogs who are willing to go out there and find deals, and then they'll. Sell them to you for a fee. So realize you can go do that, and then websites you can do search engine optimization so that your website comes up for people searching for semi home fast or we buy houses in whatever market you are so that your website comes up for that. Or you can do content marketing, write articles that are solving the problems of the uh, sellers that are trying to you know solve their problem. You know I can't afford my payments anymore. What can I do? You know how can I borrow money to stay in my home? You know and you write solutions to those problems. And if that solution doesn't work for them, they may want to have you out there to buy their house by having a little ad on there, or doing social media. Okay. Any questions on poor methods? Have you seen any um, numbers on anything social media related on conversion rates and how well it's done next to some of the other? No, I haven't seen actual numbers on the conversion rates for social media. My guess is that they're really low, because I know the stuff for a real estate agents. I mean, in general, if it doesn't take much time and effort to do, it's usually not that effective, right? So that's been my experience. All right, any other questions? Cool. Three M's marketing. So whenever you think about marketing, there's really three M's to do this. This is Dan Kennedy stuff. Uh, the market, who are you marketing to? The message, what are you saying to them? And media, how are you getting your message to your market? So we're going to look at each one of these in detail. So the market, who is your ideal market? If you're wanting to get owner financing, you got to be marketing to properties that don't have mortgages, something that's free and clear. Uh, about one-third of the entire real estate market is owned free and clear. They do not have a loan in their property at all, and that's according to uh, the U.S. Census data. If you want to go buy a property from somebody who um, you know, may not be in touch with what's happening in your marketplace, or uh, may have inherited a property you can focus on out of the area owners or absentee owners, you can go look up a list of uh, property owners where the tax bill is being sent to an address other than the property address. And there's variations on this absentee owner list, there's ones where the uh, owner's address is just another address inside the city, or uh, the owner's address is in another town, sort of somewhat local or the owner's address is in another county, or another state, or out of the country. So you could pick whatever list you want to focus on in order to find sellers that are whatever distance from the property that you want. Uh, Let's see here. Distressed sellers, so find lists of people that are in foreclosure, or pre-foreclosure, or that recently got a divorce, or job transfer, or had some other type of loss, like a fire in the property or something like that. So some other thing that is distressing the seller, and you could find some of those lists some of them are harder to find. Job transfer is probably really hard to find. A lot of the other ones you can probably find pretty easily. Uh, house characteristics, maybe you only want to buy duplexes or triplex or fourplexes. You can kind of narrow your list down and market only to those things. You only want to buy four bedroom properties or properties that have at least two bathrooms or properties that have uh, oversized garages or properties that are horse properties or you know, properties that um, you can, um, you know, Bulldoze the property down and do some type of development on it or you could do things based on lot size You don't want to have too big of a lot or maybe you really do want to have big lots Whatever it is that you want to do in order to do characteristics of the property you can kind of market to that particular list And then anything other than that bankruptcy divorce whether that people who recently got married probate or assisted living You can kind of focus in on whatever niche you're trying to serve Any questions on market? All right, this picture is from the Millionaire Real Estate Investor book by Gary Keller. Um, And in this, he basically um, determined which part of the real estate market was ideal for real estate investors. And so there's four different characteristics he's measuring here, um, how well they cash flow, how much hassle they have, how much appreciation they typically have, and how how liquid they are, how easy are they to get in and out of. And he talks about low-end properties, average properties, and high-end properties. And then he shows you, you know, on a scale of cash flow, whether it's low or high or medium, hassle, low, higher, medium, appreciation, low, higher, medium, and liquidity, low, high, medium. So for example, liquidity, low end properties have low liquidity. Okay. Then it goes up and for the average property, they have relatively high liquidity. It's easy to buy and sell them. And then as they get more expensive, they also have low liquidity. As for appreciation, Properties on the low end tend not to appreciate as fast as properties in the average, and properties on the high end are about medium, okay? For hassle, low end properties tend to have the highest hassle. Average properties tend to have the lowest hassle, and high end properties tend to have high hassle as well. And then low end properties tend to have the best cash flow. Average properties tend to have intermediate or medium cash flow. And the high-end properties tend to have a little bit lower than median, but not quite all the way to the low cash flow. So if you look at where are these curves at their best, and you'll find that it's not the very very low end, and it's not the very very high end. The great deals tend to be at like the quartile, about the 25th, 25th percentile of the marketplace, and good deals tend to be in this kind of like median section around the 50th percentile. So have you ever heard me in another class say, you know, we typically like to invest in the second quartile. You don't want to be buying the cheapest stuff. Although, as I say this, there are niches where you can decide, hey, listen, my, my specialty is low-end properties, or my specialty is luxury properties. And you can make that work. But in general, the kind of sweet spot is that second quartile, not the cheapest stuff, and usually below the median. OK, so that's generally where it is. Now, it have to, if you say, I don't buy, you know, median's $500,000. i am not buying five hundred five. No, I mean, you can go a little bit above it, but you don't want to be crazy. Okay, any questions on this, being in the middle of the market? Cool. All right, so here's some example motivated seller marketing headlines. Um, You can do stuff like, you know, we buy houses, or we buy houses cash, or we buy homes, or we buy homes cash, or cash for your house, cash for houses, sell now for cash, cash now for your house, sell your house in nine days. Here's one I like. How to sell your house as is for a fair price on the date of your choice. Or how to sell your house for full price on the date of your choice. How to sell your house as is for a fair price in nine days. Discover how to sell your house quickly. Sold in nine days. We buy houses, we take over payments. Stop foreclosure, avoid foreclosure, facing foreclosure. We buy houses any condition or situation. We buy houses any price or location. So those are some different examples of motivated seller marketing headlines that you could possibly use. Nick. What's the nine days? Like why nine? Specific number, and you can do it. Something that you can perform on. If someone is really distressed and they're like, look, I need a quick solution, you know, someone that could buy their house in nine days is attractive. Yeah. i just wondering why nine, That specific number yep. the of days to be able to close a deal. No, I mean you probably could close faster than that. You can do eight days, you can do 11 days, you know, whatever you want to do. Yeah, should be believable. Any questions on headlines? All right, so here's an example, probably one of our first examples of actual marketing. Uh, Alternative headlines, often used on media like sticky notes or some postcards. Notice, warning, or attention homeowner. So this is a sticky note. Um, I licensed the ability to use this from a guy named Richard Roop. Um, He does a bunch of marketing stuff for real estate investors. And so this is the example uh, that Richard Rube uses. We've done these, and they've worked really well. Um, In fact, I have a funny story. So on this thing here, when you print them out, this this shows up in blue. It's like Richard's initials and number 37. And we don't change it. It's always 37, no matter what it is and who it is. Um, So I I get this really nasty phone call uh, from a a seller um, who's like, if you ever put. This sticky note on my door again, I, number 37. <laughs> you know, so she's all mad and worked up, and you can hear her crumpling it up in the background and throwing it away. Um, so she's just really worked up. Wow, there's only like three or four really angry people in the world. They just move around a lot, so you'll run into them. But there's only like three or four of them. Um, but anyway, you put these on the door, and you'll, you'll get calls. You'll get you'll get some nasty calls, but you'll you'll also get some good calls on it. And so the postcard basically says. You know, attention homeowner company is not looking to purchase several houses in your neighborhood. Are you looking to sell soon? Blah, 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 blah. you know, call our 24-hour recorded message line. Remember, we're doing two-step marketing. This is a not enough to sell a property, right? Not enough to get them to convince you to sell them your property. So a 24-hour recorded message gives them more information. Or go to our website and get uh, more detail on that. Submit your property information. And then if you're not looking to sell, keep this one or send it on to a friend sort of thing. OK? Any questions on like the sticky notes example and some headlines for that? Make sense? Okay, cool. So you want your message to match with the market you're doing. Uh, Make sure that your message matches the market you're trying to reach. We buy houses, we take over payments. If you're kind of marketing to free and clear properties, properties that don't have a mortgage on them, does we take over payments make a lot of sense? No, not really at all. What if you're buying, what if you're trying to buy luxury properties, like, you know, million-dollar homes? Does we buy properties, cash, any condition make a lot of sense? Maybe not. There's probably some disconnect there. Maybe you'll catch one or two. But I don't think that's the message you would primarily want to target. You know, it's, it's sort of like fishing, right? You, if you're fishing and you throw a certain type of bait in the water, is it possible you could catch a shark with a worm? Maybe. You know, you're probably not catching sharks with worms. But it's possible you could. You're much more likely to catch a shark if you use the bait that sharks like, or you're much likely to catch the other fish using the bait that that fish likes. Uh, so cash for houses, cash for houses tends to work and resonate better with lower price homes uh, and then watch any foreclosure messages to make sure that you're targeting the right list for that too. Any questions on that? Multiple contexts. So you can double your transactions if you follow up. If you just do like this one hit and you don't follow up with anyone who calls you or does anything like that, um, expect your closing ratio to be much lower. But if you talk to someone on the phone, even if the solution is not good for them at that time, but you follow up with them over time, they've already expressed some level of interest, and a lot of times their situation changes, you can almost double your transactions, or in some cases more than double your transactions, if you actually follow up with people. Or you can half your marketing budget to do the same number of deals, another way of saying that. So repeat hits and repeat marketing, repeat mail to your mailing list, repost bandit signs, renew ads. Part of the credibility you build up is when they see your ad all the time, right? If you only ran the ad once and someone is considering using you, but they go back to that newspaper or they go back to that source wherever they saw your ad and they don't see your ad anymore, they to think that, yeah, I'm glad I didn't do deal with that guy. He's out of business already. Okay? Okay, Meaning top of mind? Yeah, top of mind. Yeah, that's another way of saying it. But there's also a credibility factor too, right? Like if you just disappear, they don't know if you're still around. Uh, Offer made follow-up, does everyone accept your offer? For every offer you make, does everyone accept it? Absolutely not, nope. So send a thank you note immediately, put the seller on an automated mailing list for more frequent follow-up, I recommend monthly. This will double your closing percentage. So if you were closing one out of 20 before with proper automated monthly follow-up, you'll close one out of 10. credibility packet and testimonials include a benefit-laden information about how you help sellers plus testimonials. Often you'll mail this out as soon as the motivated seller calls and we have their mailing address and then bring a copy with you when you meet the seller for the first time and give them a copy even if you sent them one in the mail and say, you know, here's some propaganda about me in case you haven't seen it. Um, I'll I'll put a link in the show notes to my credibility packet so you can see it. And if you don't have testimonials, if you're just getting started, get regular testimonials from like, you know, your pastor or, um, you know, some people that you've helped out in another business or anything people can say nice things about you. Um, the better, more specific to real estate is, the better. But if you, don't have, if you don't have it, work with what you have. Any questions on credibility packet testimonials? Cool. Commit to improve your response rate in all your marketing. So each marketing campaign that you do is a horse race. You always want to be testing one variable with two options to find out which one's going to win. Requires you to measure results so that you can improve them. Focus first on testing headlines to get the maximum response. So headlines, the easiest thing to test. It's often the biggest impact. And as you do more testing, be careful of improving response while sacrificing quality conversion on the back end. You know, for example, you can boost response by saying full price instead of fair price, but it might be at the expense of getting acceptable deals to you. So you can get more calls, but maybe you're not converting as many because you are changed your wording. Does that make sense? Um, more ways to respond tends to increase response and then other things to test beyond copy might include 800 numbers versus a local number, your website, your email, or your fax, although faxes are kind of going out of the way uh, people still use them, especially older people. Any questions on this? Cool ratios. So there's three different books that I'm aware of that have actually cited how many deals you need to look at, how many offers you need to make to get a certain number of deals done. These are the three books. Real Estate Riches by Dr. Dolph DeRoos. It's part of the Rich Dad Real Estate Investor Series, Robert Kiyosaki's guy, but the actual offer is Dr. Dolph DeRoos. And he talks about the 110 3, 1 rule. You have to look at hundred properties, you make offers on 10, you get three accepted, you close one deal. Carlton Sheets, who's been off the air for a while now, his no down payment course talked about the 50 to 1 rule. So you have to look at 50 properties, talk to 50 sellers in order to get one deal. And then the Millionaire Real Estate Investor book by Gary Keller and others. Um, he has the 30, 10, three, one rule. So you look at 30 deals, you make offers on 10, you get three under contract, you close on one. And then Weekend Millionaires Frequently Asked Real Estate Questions by Mike Summy and Roger Dawson. Um, that book talks about a 30 to one ratio. Look at 30 deals, get one. Really, if you're looking at the top 5% of properties, you're trying to find like the best deals, right? Um, You need to look at about 100 properties in order to find the top five properties to do that. If you think about it in that ratio, that's probably another way to look at it. And also, outside the MLS is different than inside the MLS. They're just different numbers. Any questions on these? Yeah. Um, So based on the ratios I see, is it different strategies that these books are uh, talking about, or why is there a discrepancy? Yeah, so the question is for the microphone, the question is, why are the numbers different for all these different people? I I think they're thinking about it differently. I think um, the types of deals they're doing is different. Um, I also think these aren't exact, right? It's hard to give a number when you're teaching students, because these are all people teaching it in the book, right? It's hard to give a number when I'm the one doing the presentation versus you doing the presentation versus Bill doing a presentation, right? Like, you may be able to close one out of five because you're amazing. I may be like one out of 20 because I'm like incompetent. And Bill's like just sort of between us, right? Like it could be all over the place. So the numbers are sort of just a general guideline to begin with. And I think looking at them, they're pretty close, yeah. right? I mean, they're not that far off. So but, uh, is, it, is 30 is to 1, the, the book that says 30 is to 1, necessarily good than uh, the book that says 50 is to 1? So the question is, is the book 30 to one a better book than the one that does 50 to one? No, I don't think so. And the other thing I'll add about this is let's say you come to me at a class. You say, James, I don't know what you're talking about 30 to one. I'm closing every two. And what I would say to you is maybe you're not doing good enough deals. Maybe you're not making your offers low enough where you're getting too many accepted, right? Maybe you should be more selective. So you could go in there and offer full price. I'll pay you full price. I'll get a loan. I'll buy your property. Well, yeah, it's easy to get those accepted, right? Yeah. You know, if you're coming in and you're like, I'll bet you half price, maybe you're not getting, you know, one out of 100. Maybe you're like one out of 200. But maybe that's okay for you. Yeah, Ben? Just a thought, too, on that. I think when you have a, a better ratio, maybe you're just doing more targeted marketing with the leads that you initially get or higher quality, leads to they're more expensive, too. Yeah, so. different kinds of deals, too. Yeah, Ben says, you know, maybe you're doing more targeted marketing where you're doing probate lists, or bankruptcy lists, or foreclosure lists, and you expect your ratio to be higher or something like that. You expect them to be more motivated. And that's definitely a possibility. Yeah? Because Dolph does like 100 unit commercial 100 unit apartment complex deal. Yeah. Yeah. So the, we're talking about different types of deals in there. Absolutely. I mean, there's lots of variation in this, right? I'm just trying to pull these out of different books to show you at least what some have said. And if anyone knows of, you know, on a recording, if anyone knows of another book that gives numbers or even another website that actually gives numbers based on some data, I would love to know about it. So feel free to reach out to me via email. Any questions on ratios? Cool. All right. Testing versus buying tested marketing. So you could write your own marketing. I mean, I'll show you some different examples. You can go find a ton online. Uh, you can go write your own and kind of use that and test it with your own marketing dollars. And when you do your test marketing, you're testing the market, you know, who you're mailing to. You're testing the message, which is what you're kind of creating yourself. You're testing the media, how you're getting the message out there. And then you're testing your sales skills. Or you could buy marketing from someone who has 100 students who have sent out you know, 100,000 pieces of mail, and you know that the marketing message is effective and works, and then you eliminate one of the things that you're testing. You're still testing the market, you're still testing the media, and you're still testing your sales skills, but at least now you know that the marketing message is sound, because you bought it from somebody who's had a whole bunch of students test it in a bunch of different areas. Okay? So I personally, once I understood this, I went and I bought rights to use someone else's marketing materials. I did not create my own. I would tweak, tweak stuff just a little bit, but for the most part, I was borrowing not Richard Rube stuff. But I'd pay him a license to do it, and I would actually do it. So do what you'd want to do. Yeah, Rachel? Do you feel like, compared to when you were doing this, in terms of wanting to that so the question is, do I think that compared to when I was doing it very actively versus now do I think the market is saturated? And I think back when I was doing it, the market was saturated. And um, you'll see a ton of different examples. And this is just a really small sampling because I, everything I got I would stick in a drawer and I'd save because I, I would keep a marketing swipe file. And so I would look at all the stuff that came, and you'd see people that obviously were subscribing to stuff, but it was less common than you'd imagine. A lot of people would create their own crap, and they'd send out their stuff. And some of it was really good, some of it was really bad. Right? And you could sort of see this. And then you also see, when you own properties for a very long period of time, you see longevity. You see the people that are mailing every three months, and how long they've been in business, and you see the kind of fly-by-night, oh, this person only ever mailed me once sort of thing. And when you have a bunch of properties, in the area, you could see multiple copies and see who's marketing where and stuff like that. So um, I, I think in certain markets, you're going to find a lot more competition. In other markets, you're going to find a lot less competition. And if you're marketing to do certain things, you're going to find more competition than other things. So there's, you know, I, I think personally, a lot of fix and flip people out there, there's a lot of marketing to find fix and flip opportunities. There's just, it's just a saturated market. There's a lot of folks that are willing to do that. There are probably less people willing to do creative financing. Um, still a bunch, but less, I think. Um, and then there's probably less people doing like luxury houses, uh, as an example. Although I don't own a lot of luxury houses, so maybe there's a ton of marketing on there. But my understanding is that that's a, a underappreciated, underutilized niche. Okay, as just one example. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So sample elevator pitch. So. You know, Rachel's out at a cocktail party and, and you know, someone comes up with say, and says, so Rachel, what do you do? This is what you say to somebody, an example, you could come up with your own, but here's an example of something you might say to somebody to describe what you do. So I'll just kind of read you it. Uh, you know, sometimes people need to sell a house quickly or would rather not wait to have it sold by a real estate agent or for sale by owner. Well, my company helps those people by buying their homes directly, often using private funds. Then we help people, often people who find it challenging to buy a house traditionally, buy the houses from us. Often this involves renting or providing flexible owner financing to the buyers. So that would be an example of an elevator pitch that you might use. Now if you were trying to raise private money, you might say that same thing, but after where you say my company helps those people by buying their homes directly, often using private funds, you might add in an additional thing about private funds. You know, We help investors who are wanting to have alternatives to the stock market investment, where we help them, uh, we would pay them a return on those funds, or something like that. So you could add that in there as well. Does that make sense? And adjust this for whatever you're, you're doing in your business. Cool. Okay. All right. So here's a sample business card, and you guys have there's lots of different you know real estate investor business card variations. the The reason I want to show you this one is it has an interesting twist that I've not seen used before. So in the state of Colorado, at least. Um, the the raising of private money is technically a licensed activity. You're supposed to have a license in order to borrow, like collect money from someone and give them a note secured by property to do that. So it's technically a licensed activity. And you're not supposed to go out there and actively advertise that you want to pay people a return for their money. That's that's a no-no. You're not supposed to do that. So the way that I thought about this is I'm supposed to disclose that I'm licensed. So why not use my license disclosure as a kind of sort of backdoor advertisement. So for my business card, the front of the business card looks like a traditional, you know, I buy houses and apartments, private real estate solutions, has my contact information on there, my name that I'm licensed, um, professional real estate entrepreneur, has my address, my website, and my email address on there. Nothing surprising about there, and, and this really cranny grinny photo on there. Um, which people have told me I look a little crazy in that photo. Um, back when I had hair. And then uh, on the back of it, it says, a licensing disclosure for private investors looking to earn returns from private real estate notes. So this is my disclosing to them that I have a license and that, how the license works. And so it says, notice, the company name is a mortgage broker-dealer licensed by Colorado Division of Securities to create notes paying interest secured by a deed of trust on real estate for private individuals seeking those investments. James Orr is a licensed mortgage sales representative for that company. So this was a way to sort of advertise for anyone who is interested in that that I am licensed, and I do those things. Does that make sense? I've not seen anyone else do that. So I thought it was kind of an interesting way to do it. Any questions on this? I will get a beverage. And if the creepy photo wasn't enough on the front, it's faint on the back. (laughs) Yeah, right? do my, it's like my hypnotic stare, hypnotic stare, creepy hypnotic stare. Okay, so here's some sample like uh, bandit signs, and you've seen these, right? You know, we buy houses cash fast, uh, I buy houses fast cash, and these are not like, you don't buy the, you could, you don't usually buy the blank, currugated plastic, kur, plastic, and then handwrite these on here, although you could, you typically have them printed with the handwritten stuff on there. Um, then we buy houses, we take over payments, it says telephone number, need to sell your house fast, we buy houses, telephone number, any condition, any situation, and then avoid foreclosure. And you'll see some with black, and most of the time they're black and yellow, or red and yellow, or red and black, um, things like that, and I just put the McDonald's one out there because I thought it was funny. Um, I, I think that's probably Photoshop, it's probably not real. All right, any questions on banner signs? Examples? Cool. All right, buying from motivated sellers in hot markets, so avoid the obvious seller like the MLS and for sale signs, ads, when a market's really, really hot, because often you're going to be outbid by owner occupants on those. If you've got you know, 20 offers seen on properties, you can kind of knock your head up against the wall if you want to, but I don't know. Probably do better things with your time. Uh, run ads, send direct mail, and do flyers. Target niches like high equity, probate, divorce, absentee owners, burned out landlords, etc., And then be willing to spend three times as much in marketing to find these deals. It's a premium you pay for buying in a hot market. Uh, network and seek referrals. Solve problems. So sellers don't give away equity. They don't give you equity. What do they do? They trade their equity for solutions to problems. They're not giving you $20,000 or $30,000 or $40,000 in equity. They're saying, hey, look, I've got this problem. I need a solution. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to trade you this equity for a solution to that problem. And then be willing, in some cases, to pay full retail with creative terms. That's one way you can deal with hot markets. And we're sort of coming out of a hot market right now. Fed just raised interest rates again today by 0.75. It's a second or third increase. Is third? Third increase, yeah. So um, you know, they're trying to slow down inflation. They're trying to fight inflation. And one of the ways to do that is to adjust interest rates, which slows down the real estate market, and a lot of things are tied to the real estate market. All right, any questions on hot markets? Cool. All right, let's talk a little bit about direct mail. I like direct mail so what are the pros and cons of doing direct mail so i'll just kind of share some with you uh, you have a lot of control when you do direct mail you do a lot of testing you control when it goes out how it goes out all that stuff uh, your coverage and reach you can have really good coverage you can have really good reach by going you know long distance you do stuff local um, you can focus on a lot of different things there's a lot of flexibility you can put out a large amount you can put out a small amount you can put out a small amount all the time like every day um, you have pretty good impact, especially if you have really good ads. You can you could change the size of the ad to have really big impact, or you can do postcards and do a lot of them. Um, it has a pretty historic response rate. And with the movement of a lot of companies away from direct mail, there are less people competing with you in your mailbox. You show up alone. Um, you know, versus someone goes online, you do like, you know, um, pay-per-click or you try to compete with SEO and you want to come up for, you know, sell a house fast in whatever your city is, realize that you're not the only person trying to come up for that. There's other real estate agents, there's other investors, and so now you're competing with the four or five or ten or fifteen or twenty or thirty other people there. With a postcard, some days you're the only one that shows up there. Sometimes it's, you know, you're the only one that shows up that month. So you definitely have a lot of uh, um, ability to show up there without competition. Uh, you have selectivity. You could decide who you want to target versus uh, having to hit a lot of waste, um, a lot of different people in there. Uh, it's highly scalable. You could decide you want to buy one house every quarter, one house a year, or you could decide you could buy you know 10 houses a month. Whatever you want to do is a very scalable type of, of thing with direct mail. It's relatively inexpensive to do. It's proven. A lot of people have used it for. And the other thing is privacy. You know, if I want to find out what someone is doing in order to market to find uh, properties, and you're doing stuff online, or you're putting an ad in the newspaper, I can go look at that newspaper, I can go look at the online stuff, and I can see what you're doing in your business. And I can try to deconstruct that. I know unless I have a house in that marketplace, and you send direct mail to me, it's hard for me to see what you're doing. So there's some privacy way to do it there too. What are some of the downsides? Sometimes there's delays in delivery. You can't always time this perfectly. Uh, sometimes you get poor quality lists. You know, you'll have a bunch of undeliverables or, or bad names on there. Um, you know, the cost per exposure is relatively high to get, just to get your message in front of somebody. Uh, there's a some possible saturation. And then sometimes the mail gets lost or it's undeliverable. Uh, if it looks like an advertisement and you have a disgruntled postal employee, sometimes they'll take your mail and just throw it away, especially if you're doing like every door direct mail where you hit every house in a neighborhood or a certain uh, carrier route. Sometimes you know, the, the carrier will say, 400 of these? No one's expecting these. I'm just going to throw them away. So you have some loss when you have that. All right, so those are pros and cons. So farm areas. Let's talk about uh, mailing lists and stuff like that. I'll show you some examples. So farm areas. Geographically, you can decide you're going to market to a specific county, or a specific city, or a specific MLS area, or a specific subdivision, or a specific zip code. Um, In my opinion, if you're gonna go target a certain area with a mailing list, I think you should try to run some data on that thing and try to find out, hey, what's the typical age of a property or the range of property ages? What's the typical property price range of that list? How many days on market is it typically taking to sell in that area? How big of a discount from list price or premium over list price are people getting in that market? What's the price per square foot there? What are the typical lot sizes? And the reason why I think you wanna run this is so that you don't spend a bunch of money on marketing for the first couple times you do it, only to realize you're getting really crazy crappy leads because they're not what you want. You wanna find out what the, what the people you're mailing to their houses look like from like a data perspective. Um, your own ones are ones around you, so you pick geographically. You don't have to do local. You can decide to buy outside another market if you prefer. Uh, I, I was doing a lot of stuff in other markets. So I would do some stuff here, but I finally started doing a lot of marketing to some other cities that I wanted to buy in. Uh, finding deals that fit your criteria based on geographic stuff. And then there are exceptions to every rule, you know, all this stuff. Continuing on with mailing list selection so you can decide property types. I only want to do detached properties like single-family homes or attached properties, condos, and townhomes. I only want to focus on multifamily. I only want to focus on mobile homes or modular homes or or manufactured homes. You can pick your price range. You can pick your median price, your average price, your low end, your luxury, whatever you decide you want to focus on from there. You could focus on financing, especially if you're going to try to come in and buy properties subject to or with wrap financing or if you want owner financing. So you can look at. The mortgage balance, you wanna do low equity if you wanna buy properties with subject to or wrap financing or lease option, something that has a high mortgage balance so you could take it over, and more likely to be able to structure a deal like that than someone who owes something that's very little, you know, like directly subject to. Or if you wanna try to get owner financing, try to do ones with low mortgage balance or no mortgage balance. And if you can't get that data, sometimes you could look at the date of the mortgage, and if it's a really old mortgage, it's very close to be either completely paid off or very low at that point type of loan, FHA or USDA, beware of doing subject to on those. Uh, but it could be good for assumption if you're willing to move into property. Uh, VA loans or conventional financing. And then if there's a private loan on there, if you're looking to raise private money, you can look for all the different private loans and try to reach out to the private lenders and see if you can get some financing. They're already, they've already done it once. So you look at that as your kind of like private money list. Uh, year's owned, so you look at the last sale date the shorter the ownership period the more likely it is to do a deal like subject two or wrap Financing or lease options the longer the ownership period the more likely um, It'll be paid off and you'll be able to do owner financing. There's just general rules If there's no public data the last purchase could be prior to the electronic recording of that and so those are probably paid off The age of property newer properties lower maintenance lower equity subject to wrap financing and lease options older properties tend to be more fixer-uppers free and clear and owner financing so if you're looking for those lists and then demographics, the age of the owner, you could find people that are likely to have more equity by looking at age of owner and then occupancy, whether they're owner occupied, someone's living there, or if it's a landlord absentee owner, where the tax bill is being sent to an address other than the property address. And it can be either at a town at a state or at a country and then other specialized lists. You can look for vacant properties or probate properties. As examples, Pro- probate properties are properties that are owned by heirs. Like someone has died and then it's uh, been passed on to the air. Any questions on this? Oh, I guess there's one more. Size of the list. So if, you have a, if your list is too big, you may want to narrow it down. If your list is too small, you may want to expand out your criteria. Or just be willing to do less deals. So break your, typically break your list into thirds and mail each third every month. And then repeat at the end. So go back to the beginning so that you're mailing everybody once a quarter. You build credibility and consistency with, by doing that. Uh, repeatedly doing what you say you're going to do, and you get referrals. If your list is too large, use a smaller list. If your list is too small, expand it. I think I talked about that. Any questions on list criteria before I go into some other stuff? All right, cool. Uh, so mailing list sources. So where do you get these lists from? So all the stuff you can get from public record, like property characteristics, uh, loans, age of property, things like that, you can get that from public records either your local uh, property assessor, or title companies, or real list. Um, real list is what we use here in our local MLS. So if you have access to the MLS, you could download a real list uh, public record list, or RealQuest, which is, I think another product by the same company, um, which is a variation like what they offer. Um, and then other sources of mailing lists, list source, InfoUSA and Melissa data. And some companies will specialize in just general, Characteristics of the property. Some will be able to give you kind of like mail merged lists with other data, like they can combine a property address with other things they know about them, like bankruptcies or foreclosures or income level or things like that. If you want to have things merged together, it'd probably be a whole class on just mailing lists, but that's the idea. And then list hygiene: you're going to mail stuff, you're going to get things uh, returned to you as undeliverable, so you got to do stuff with them. So number one, remove duplicates before you send them out. Use the National Change of Address, the NCOA service, to make sure that if someone moved, you get their updated mailing address. And then remove undeliverables as you get them back so that the next time you mail them, you have less undeliverables. If you really want to, you could go ahead and try to track down where the undeliverables should go. I never bothered to do that. I probably could have had, this. probably a whole business model of you just focusing on the people that are doing the undeliverables, because I think a lot of investors would just not do anything with the undeliverables. you could go focus on them if you want to. I personally would just send more mail, but that's me. All right, cool. Message. So, what marketing messages will we be mailing? We already covered all those marketing headlines before. Now, I'm going to show you some actual sample postcards. So, here's one example postcard. Um, the headline for this one is Do you need to sell a house in city name? Um, The company name will buy your house from you on the day of your choice. You will receive the same money for your equity as if you listed and sold through the real estate agent. So they're taking off, you know, 6%-ish, depending on what the market is. Um, You pay no commissions or fees. I pay no commissions or fees, but I'm going to net the same as a real estate agent. Sounds like I'm paying a commission or fee. Sell your house on the day of your choice, full equity, no commissions, no fees. That's their marketing message. Has a company name, their telephone number, including an 800 number and a local number and their website address. And then on the other side of the postcard has their name, that they're part of the B- Better Business Bureau, uh, which by the way, you just pay a fee and you, get, you can be part of Better Business Bureau. <sighs> call today to find out how the company can buy your house and city on the date of your choice, any condition, model house or condemned, any price, mansion or shack, anywhere in the greater area, full equity, no commissions, no fees, don't make another payment, call today with their contact information there. That's a postcard. Here's another postcard, different one, Um, dear so-and-so. Oh, this is from me. This would be interesting. So uh, my investor group is interested in buying your property located at blank in city. We buy several houses each month, and we're looking to buy more in this area. So what did I just do? I borrowed credibility, right? So if you're brand new and you're part of investor group, maybe your investor group buys several houses right so now it's not necessarily you if you're a brand new investor you can do this Uh, should you have any interest in selling quickly and easily at a fair price please call us at telephone number if you get my voicemail please leave a message for a prompt return call when you're ready I'd be glad to meet with you inspect the property and let you know exactly how much we can pay you can also visit us at website address to submit a property information form and get the ball rolling we have purchased hundreds of properties throughout our area since a date so you may be a perfect solution for you selling your property. Call or visit our website to learn more about how we can buy your house as is on the date of your choice. Thank you. My telephone number, my name, my telephone number. I also have my website address there. And it says, P.S., if you're not interested in selling now, please keep this card for future reference. And then I make a disclosure at the very bottom in smaller fonts: Licensed broker and investor not intended to solicit properties already listed for sale. So this is an example of a postcard I would send through Click the Mail. Any questions on it? Here are some handwritten letters. Uh, Dear so-and-so, I'm currently looking to purchase a property in the Blank County area. I've looked at several properties in the area, and I'm seriously interested in purchasing your house at Blank. Do you really think they looked at properties in the area and that they picked mine out? Yeah, this is the challenge, right? Like, I think you lose credibility with this. Um, A few good things to make an easier sale are, one, the condition of the property is not important. Two, no realtor commissions. Why pay a commission if you don't have to? Three, I will pay cash and purchase in as-is condition with no bank, ins- no bank inspections for termites, roof, electrical mold, ex- mold etc. Is it really the bank doing that? Not really, but I'm being critical. I should be less critical. Uh, four, our closing time is fast and flexible. You will not need to do any fix-up work if you are interested in selling. Please, please feel free to call me on my private toll-free number, my private toll-free number, uh, which is this telephone number, and sincerely their name. What's that? Yeah, probably not. Probably not, right? Yeah. Here's another one. Um, this one's not handwritten. It has a date and address and regarding a property address, dear so and so. This company is interested in purchasing the property listed above. We will buy the property in its as-is condition. You will not have to make any repairs or improvements. We will make a cash offer to ensure there will be no problems with financing. You will not have to pay a real estate commission, and we will close around your schedule. Thank you for your consideration. If you're interested in selling the property reference above, you can contact me directly at a local telephone number. Uh, best regards, their name and their company name. Here's another handwritten yellow letter. Um, this one was uh, photocopied onto this. So, um, and then they had, you could tell the ink was different. So they would photocopy it, and then they'd write the name and the address separately. So everything else was photocopied, but then it was handwritten in the same ink color. So dear name, hi, my name is blank. My wife and I would like to, by the way, is this a male handwriting or female handwriting? Yeah, Yeah, but it says my name is male name, right? I think you lose a little credibility there, too. Um, It's possible it's male handwriting, but this looks like female handwriting to me. Does it look like, anyone think it's male handwriting? No one in the room. Okay. What's that? I was kidding. I said, are you saying men can't have nice handwriting? No, I'm just, maybe, yeah, I guess that's probably inappropriate. Okay, I I take it back. What's that? Oh, I don't know about that. And I, I probably shouldn't touch that one. I don't know. I mean, the world's unfair. It's unfortunate, but maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, please call us at telephone number. They give multiple numbers. They also include their fax number and their email address. Uh, please call. Thanks. And they've got his initials on there. Um, this is a big national chain. This is a version of their letter. Um, it's got the address, dear certain names, records indicate that you are, oh, this is actually a really instructive letter. You should really read this one. Records indicate that you're the owner of the property at blank. Are you interested in a cash offer for that property? Our business is buying and selling houses and multiple house packages? We rehab and resell houses and we sell property to other investors. So they're telling you they buy houses, but they also say, hey, look, if you've got more than one, we'll buy all of them, right? They're telling, we'll, we'll do the package. Uh, we rehab and resell them. they're telling you what they're doing and then we sell them to other investors. Well, that's pretty interesting. Uh, we only buy houses at a discount. They're disclosing that up front too, right? Um, but when we buy them, we pay cash. We pay most normal closing costs. We take the house as is. You don't need to do any repairs, and we can close quickly if you want us to. If you're interested in selling with like a quick cash offer on the house at blank, please call 800 number seven appointment to see your home. We maintain a very high professional standard. We maintain a very high professional standards in the conduct of our business. We believe in making a positive contribution to our community. Please call toll-free number. Excuse me, if you're interested in selling your home, if you have any questions, thank you for your time to review my letter. Sincerely, their name. P.S., we pay cash and most normal closing costs for properties, and we could pay quickly if you want us to. Are you interested in selling your property at blank? Please call this number. So the, the P.S., which is the second most read part of the letter, is just another offer. It's basically repeating the offer. That's pretty instructive too. P.P.S., which I guess is the second P.S. in the letter. Um, not ready to sell today, then please keep this letter with your important real estate documents and call us when you're ready. Interesting, right? I thought that one of the things I liked about this one is they're telling you, we're, we're, look, we're looking for a discount. So, are they going to get a higher volume of calls or more qualified calls? Qualified. More qualified, right, yeah. I bet they paid a lot to have that drawn up to. <laughs> yeah, like, like, tested it and professional copywriter sort of thing? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and this is what's great. Like, once you get a copy or a couple copies of these, you can modify it to your own stuff, right? Like, don't, don't, don't copy verbatim, but you know, massage you know, kind of use this as a guide and then write your own. Here's another couple postcard samples. Um, you know, Rachel buys houses in the city. Um, unwanted estate, foreclosure, divorce, other bills piling up, had enough landlording, need to get out of town. Need to get out of town. Uh, any condition, any location, any situation. Close in 10 days. Call Rachel at her telephone number here. Problems don't just solve themselves. Call Rachel for a free consultive, consultative session. It's not as important why you need the cash as it is that Rachel can get you the cash and reduce your stress in as little as 10 days. And then Rachel buys houses, has their address. Any condition, any location, any situation, close in 10 days, call Rachel our telephone number. That's another example of a postcard. Uh, Here's a couple other handwritten ones. Can you tell this one's like computer generated on the left? Yeah, right? So dear name, I would like to purchase your property. It's it's designed to be handwritten-ish. I would like to purchase your property located in city. I'm eager to purchase property in this type of neighborhood and was curious about your house located at blank. Are you interested in selling? Because I'm ready to purchase your property with cash quickly and you don't need to be concerned with any repairs or inspections, plumbing, roof, termites, et cetera. I enjoy fixing these things myself. Please understand that I'm not a real estate broker so we can avoid commissions. Also, I'm prepared to pay all closing costs. So if you're interested in a simple all-cash deal, please call me now at telephone number. Sincerely, their name. And then here's another one. This is actually me. Um, although, it's my partner with the letter. Um, and so this one was photocopied onto a sheet, and then we would write in um, their address here and their name up here. So everything else was photocopied with black ink onto a yellow legal pad sheet of paper. Basically, we'd go get the legal pads, we'd cut them, we'd pull them out and stick them into the copy machine and just print it right on this. And when we did, the, we did a white sheet with the thing, and we had a yellow sheet underneath it so you could see where the lines would line up. And then we just copied it right onto here, and so that's how this was done. And if you turn this over once once it's actually done, you could see where it's real ink versus where it was copied, so you could see that the name and the address was kind of put in there. But everything else was uh, standardized. So it says, Dear, whatever her name is, "Uh, My name is Blank, and I'm a real estate investor. I'm currently looking to purchase a property in Blank County. I've looked at several homes in the area, and I'm interested in purchasing your property at Blank. I'm not a real estate agent and do not intend to use one to purchase a house. Why pay commission if we don't have to I'll purchase your property as is conditioned. So if you're interested in selling now or in the near future, please call me at blank. Sincerely, their name. So that was an example. Uh, Here's another postcard. Tell me if this one reeks of credibility or it doesn't for you. So dear blank, last week Tuesday, I was driving around the neighborhood and noticed your property at blank. I did some research in the public records department and noticed that you had owned it for quite some time, and so I was wondering if you had thought about selling. Okay, so first of all, I don't think this guy even lives in the city, because I happen to know him. Um, So I don't think he was driving around the neighborhood, and I don't think he did any research in the public records for this property in particular. I think he did a search for all properties that met certain criteria. Anyway, getting back to it. I'm interested in purchasing two investment properties in the area. I want to try and talk to you personally, but was not able to find your phone number huh Uh, when I buy your properties there are no fees or commissions in fact I'm willing to pay all of your closing costs that would mean thousands of dollars in savings to you Uh, additionally if there are tenants I could buy it when they're with them there so you won't have to worry about you having moving about having them move out Uh, I did not want to miss your call so I took the time to record a message I didn't want to miss your call so I took the time to record a message about my offer to buy your property please call this toll free number with an extension you can call 24 hours a day seven days a week look forward to hearing from you soon. What do you think? Do you like the other ones better? Uh, This is the front. Urgent notice. Please just turn this card over for my very important message about your property at blank. All right. Here's another one. Oh, this is me. Let's see see if I can critique myself. All right. My company's interested in buying your property at blank in city. As a professional house buyer, I look to buy several houses each month, especially in this area, and since we use a long-term approach, we can usually offer you top dollar and close whenever you want. There's no need for you to fix up the house, put it on the market, pay any fees or commissions when I buy your house. If you have any interest in selling now or in the future, please call me direct at blank. You can also learn more about how we can buy your house quickly and easily by listening to a 24-hour recorded message at blank or visiting a website address. Even though I'm a licensed real estate agent, my only reason for writing you is to buy your house, not list it. When you're ready, I'm glad, I'll be glad to meet with you, inspect the property, and let you know exactly how much we can pay. It's got my name and contact information at the bottom. You have that last part do you have to disclose your real estate agent. You should. You should. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, another one you probably have heard of before. So this one says we buy houses, problem, rent houses, repair problems, inheritances, vacant houses, and then the other side, the no problem way to sell your house. We pay cash. We can close fast foreclosure solutions, any condition, any location, inheritances, vacant houses, rent houses, um, company name will buy your house now just the way it is. Call toll free number. And has the address and everything on there. Um, I just want to show you what an envelope looked like. It's just handwritten like that. Here's an example of one that goes into like the, uh, what do you call this, money mailer, like the ones so you have like the 500 coupons. This is just an example of one doing We Buy Houses. So wanting to sell now, facing foreclosure, one more, owe more than it's worth, bad tenants, major repairs, divorce, relocating, it's okay, We Buy House, any condition. It has a telephone number and some stuff on there. Another the postcards, we buy houses cash, getting cash offer close quickly. Any area, any price, any condition, call now. It uh, has a website address, download your free special report. The five easiest ways to stop foreclosure in under 48 hours or less. So is this, who is this person targeting? Someone who's in foreclosure, right? Could it really be this easy to stop foreclosure at absolutely little or no cost and in less than 48 hours? Getting your life right back on track with one small decision. Facing foreclosure, bankruptcy, late on payments, rising interest or balloon mortgage, recently laid off we can help free report reveals all the details discover how to sell your house fast in a few short days of board foreclosure take care of your mortgage payments never pay a commission to get your house sold download it for free now at the address i think there's a couple more if you're considering selling we would like to make a cash offer. or selling blank the address we'd like to make cash offer as is now upon contact us we provide you with the best possible offer promptly. Your offer will include verification from financial institutions certifying our ability to purchase your property with cash. We can close within 72 hours or at your earliest convenience. So there you go, there's 72 hours. Over the past 10 years, we have bought houses from thousands of people in an honest and professional manner. If you'd like to sell this one, that you sell this or any other property you own, please contact us at telephone number or visit us at a website address. There are contact information there. And apparently they're operating in a whole bunch of cities because they listed them all at the bottom. Here's another one. This is more like a form. Fill this out. Dear homeowner, which is very generic. We are investors who buy and sell houses in city area. The, through public record, we are aware of a property you own here in Blank County. If you're interested in selling your home here, please contact their names, a telephone number, or if you prefer, you can fill out the bottom portion of this letter and mail it to us at the address above. We guarantee you an offer and we will be in contact with you as soon as we receive the information listed at the bottom. We are looking forward to doing business with you and hope to hear from you soon. And it's basically, yeah, I want to sell my property. I'm asking blank. It's occupied or it's vacant. Beds, baths, square footage, pool, lot size. Why are you selling? Does property need repairs? Is there a mortgage? Are payments current? And then your contact information. And then it says, we'll inspect the property from the exterior and call you shortly with an offer. Interesting approach. Slightly different one. Do you want to sell your blank property? And they highlighted it. Um, I wish I buy houses, land, commercial property, and mortgages in the city name and surrounding areas. I will, buy, I will buy property in any condition. I could pay cash, which is bolded. If you prefer to have an investment with a high rate of return and tax advantages, we will make payments. Wow, that's interesting. Should you not live in the blank area, everything can be handled through the mail, no need to return. My attorney will prepare the agreements and overnight them to you for, for you to approve. Call telephone number uh, today. P.S. Please file for future reference if not interested at this time. Interesting one, huh? All right, so those are the examples for that. So media, for doing direct mail, could be postcards, could be letters, could be offers or contracts. I don't really have a lot of time to go into detail, but I did do a test where I sent unsolicited, just actual contracts, full-on offers, signed by me to buy properties, based on um, a formula based on the assessed value. So I know what the assessed value in the MLS, and the uh, public record data was. I had a formula where I knew Approximately what those typically are, and I made an offer based on that assessed value, um, straight up. So they could have literally returned it, signed. No one actually took me up in the offer. They did, a bunch of people called back. Um, I don't think we ended up closing it, but it was a relatively small test. I just kept doing postcards. It was a lot easier. Why do, do you think people thought it was like fraud or something? I think there's probably some of that. And, and so the question was, did people think it was fraud? I think probably some people thought it was a little fraudulent. I think also, you know, people are confused by contracts. It was like a, you know, four-page offer. And they're like, what is this? You know, what am I doing here? Um, and so I, I think you know, this is like the one-step versus two-step example. That was one step in it, right, of sending you an offer. Um, and I think most of the time, it works better to do two steps. Just the idea. Yeah, and then that answer questions, you know, build rapport, answer questions that they have, can I talk to you about stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, postcards, letters, offers, contracts, free recorded information lines, <coughs> websites, Lead forms and special reports. So those are the types of media we could use in order to get in touch with stuff. Uh, what name do you use on your marketing? You could use your personal name. For example, I can use James Orr. Uh, you could use the name of your acquisition manager. So for a while, I had a person who was doing acquisitions for us, and we put their name on there. A pseudonym, like Jimmy Orr or Jim Orr. If anyone calls me Jimmy or Jim, I know you don't know me, right? Because that's not my name. My name is James. So like, you could put this on there, though, so when someone calls on the phone, they're like, hey, is Jimmy there? I know it's from certain marketing. So you could do something like that um so whatever you want to do business name you know you can put your business name on there uh you could borrow credibility i forget what i was talking about there i don't know Uh, and if you're a real estate agent you should disclose that on your marketing phone number so you can put your phone number your mobile your office number a 24-hour recorded information line a 24-hour voicemail an answering service a live answering service Um, your staff either your acquisition manager your admin person um, other considerations, should you use a local number or long-distance number? Should you put a toll-free number on there? Should you use an extension or not an extension? Should you include a fax number or not? All the considerations to kind of think about for this. Uh, for the website and email address on there, so if you can go get a custom domain name, you know, for example, I think for a while we were using WeCanBuyQuick.com. I think I own it, but I don't think it's up, because I'm sort of not, not acquiring properties right now. Uh, but we can buy quick, I think, was ours. That's an example of a custom domain name. You could do um, shared versions of that where if you have a d- domain name that's good, like we bu- webuyhomes.com, we you might have like webuyhomes.com forward slash Colorado forward slash Denver as an example. Ooh, anything crazy? Storm? Yeah, yeah, oh, storm's coming. Yeah, <laughs> well, that, that supersedes silent mode. <laughs> uh, specific subpage, so example, you could have it, you know. Like my, my name jamesor.com forward slash sell your home or sellyourhome.php like whatever page you have as a sub home for that stuff on there and then if you do two step marketing you can have them go to a lead form that sends a special report or have them go directly to the special report just shown on there or you can have them go and see your testimonials and credibility packet online as well so those are just options for that and an email address do you use a free email like jamesor@gmail.com or do you use like a custom one like james quick.com, which doesn't go anywhere to so please don't email me at that one. Uh, you can set up an autoresponder so that if people acquire stuff, they can do that. Or there's certain services where you can email an email address, and that subscribes you to an email list, um, or it can go directly to you. As some examples, what a return address to use? Um, should it be business or personal? Uh, just make sure it matches your thing. If you're saying my wife and I buy houses, you know you don't want to have like you know your business address and have it be a business name on there and stuff like that. Um, I would not recommend doing your home address. You might get people actually coming and driving by, especially if they're upset, um, for whatever reason. You can use P.O. Box, local business address, add uh, a state address, like a mailing service return address. Sometimes that happens too, like if we're hiring a mailing company, which we've done in the past to do that. Uh, mailing frequency, sorry, I'm a little over, guys. Hopefully you don't mind. Um, moving parade, you need to be in front of them when they think about selling. So repeated hits, 80% of sales requires five follow-up phone calls after the meeting. That's according to the marketing donut and at any given time, only 3% of your market is actively buying or in this case, selling um, 56% are not ready. 40% are poised to begin and that's from Vorsight. and then 63% of people requesting information on your company today will not purchase for at least three months and 20% will take more than 12 months to buy, and that's for Marketing Donut as well. So you gotta keep in front of people over time, and only a small percentage of people are like ready to go right now. If you email them or you mail them again three months later, you have another percentage of people that are kind of doing that. And then certain ones will take a little bit of time to actually make a decision, so those come back around. You build this up over time and you have a much better, more, more stable lead flow after a while. And then mailing services, you could use local print and mailing houses, or the US Postal Service has a company that they do for doing direct mail services called clicktomail.com. It's click, the number two, and then mail.com for doing that. That's it, any questions? Was that helpful? Was that like good like overview of how to market, find off-market deals, a lot of detail? Good stuff for you? Any questions, if you guys wanna, are you gonna do stuff, like what do you need help with? What questions you got? None? Overwhelmed? kind of related, but so when you're talking like, you talked about different things to look for. If you're looking for a number more bedrooms, that's obvious. But is there a way to search for like unfinished basement? I feel like I never see that. In the MLS, you can, but not in the assessor data. Okay. Well, I wonder if assessor data has that field. We're getting so much better with that. I bet you there is some fields for that. Okay. Um, but you'd have to look it up. You'd have to go pull down the data. because A lot of times, these have like 155 fields, right? Like yeah. there's first name, last name property address, mailing address, city, state, zip code, square footage, assessed value. Like, they have a whole bunch of fields for all that stuff, and one of them may be that. And it probably depends on your local MLS for those that are listening to the recording. Um, But I have not looked for that one. Yeah, I know it's in the MLS, I don't know if it's in public record data or not. Yeah, I'd have to look at that. The public record has a bunch of data points, though. They have a whole bunch. Yeah, you're looking for, like, opportunities to do, like, fix up a basement or something? Yeah, like... Nomadding, fix, fix and flip to nomad, yeah. or whatever. Um, we were just talking about How ways that? to buy houses where we can still conventional financing because it's totally run down. Yep. We can't, but if it's a house that has an unfinished basement, you can get good financing and then beds and baths. And yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. That's probably a good, good strategy to do for like that fixer up or nomad version. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Any other questions? Sorry for going late. I appreciate you guys coming. Thank you all. I will see you all next week. Bye-bye for now. With home prices up, mortgage interest rates up, and rents up but not quite enough to counteract the higher prices and interest rates, cash flow on rental properties in Highlands Ranch is harder than ever. Book a call with the Real Estate Financial Planner to apply our proprietary 88 strategies to improve cash flow on your rentals. See the show notes for a link to schedule your call and improve your cash flow today.